that we're headed this week into our 4th of July celebration weekend, right, where we celebrate our country. The red, white, and blue of the flag will be flying everywhere you look. Our country, our flag, it's, the, it's one of the few things in life that we pledge allegiance to, isn't it? Right? You might have a chance this week to, to proclaim, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Did you catch those last words? Pledging yourself to justice for all. I'm not convinced that we're really committed to, to, to that patriotic phrase completely. Justice for all. I'm not sure we really want to turn that into a reality in our lives, right? I think we'd be more honest if we pledged ourselves to liberty and justice for some. Or if you want to be really honest... We're probably really pledging to liberty and justice for us or for me, right? Because we're willing to live with a certain amount of injustice in this world. In fact, we often choose to allow and maybe even encourage injustice all around us, especially when those injustices benefit us, when they bring us gain. So we demand justice for ourselves, but for others, well, their outrage at the injustice often fades to maybe wishful thinking or empty platitudes. We want liberty and justice for some, liberty and justice for us. But this justice for all phrase is not a patriotic phrase. It's not where it was born. It's not an American virtue. Justice for all is the fruit that a healthy follower of Jesus Christ and that a healthy church that's dedicated to the purposes of God will be known by and will bear. Justice for all is an absolute command from our God. And, and if you read scripture, if you know the stories, then you know that his anger burns brightly. It burns hot when he sees injustice against any of the children that he has created. So when, when we as Christians pledge allegiance to our God and to his kingdom, which should be our number one allegiance, right? When we make that pledge to be followers of Jesus Christ, we are pledging to defend and to cherish and to sacrifice for the cause of justice for all right alongside of our God, right? That, that spiritual passion finds its root at the very beginning of time, right? Genesis chapter one, it, it's the well-known creation chapter where God creates this whole universe and he populates it with a spectacular array of, of plants and animals and then, and then he speaks into being the crown and glory of his creation, which is human beings, Right, verses 26 and 27 of Genesis chapter 1 say that God then said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. 
these verses, although they, they seem pretty simple, pretty basic, they are imperative to the cause and calling for justice for all because they display the inherent value of every single human being that is foundational to our abhorrence of injustice of every kind. Right? God creates human beings in his image. And that image, even though we recognize that it's been twisted, it's been broken by sin, sometimes in some pretty horrible and hideous kinds of ways. But that image of God has never left the human race. Every single human being who has ever lived and will ever live carries within them the image of God. They are God's artistry. They are God's design. And he is in love with them. And the presence of the image of God in every single person gives every person inherent, profound value. We need to remember that a person's value is not determined by what they are able to accomplish or by how much money they have. Their value is not determined by the job they have or the impact they make on the world or on history. It is not determined by how beautiful they are or how healthy their body is. Their value is not determined by their race or their nationality or their age or their gender. The value of every single person was determined back in Genesis chapter 1. The image of God in every single one of us gives us incalculable value apart from our accomplishments, apart from what the world says about us. Every person, no matter how insignificant they may seem to you, is of immense value to God and is loved dearly by God. And so when God sees any one of his image bearers suffering from injustice, his heart is broken and his anger is stoked. He is zealous about this cause for justice. Like the video, when we talk about biblical justice, we are not necessarily talking about just the enforcement of the law. That's a piece of it. But more often than not, the Bible is talking about something different. The justice God is calling us to is defined as restoring and defending the inherent God-given value in each person. So the definition of injustice is just the opposite. Injustice happens when we take away or when we neglect that inherent God-given value in each person. David Batstone is a leader in the worldwide fight against modern slavery. He summarized it well when he wrote this. He wrote, injustice happens when those who are vulnerable, those who are poor, those who are not able to defend themselves are taken advantage of. We have injustice in the world today because we have taken away from many people the right to the God-given freedoms that are ours by virtue of our birthright. Injustice steals those God-given freedoms that come with being an image-bearer of God. And God calls us. He pledges us 
to defend that birthright forevermore. In fact, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Way back in the Old Testament, page 149, Deuteronomy 10. Here, here we get to hear God's passion about defending the people that he loves. In this chapter, as God is establishing order for his chosen people of Israel. Remember, he chose Abraham and Abraham's descendants to be his chosen people. Here he demands in Deuteronomy 10 a passion for justice within that community. So in verses 12 and 13, Moses, who wrote Deuteronomy, he boils down what God requires of his people. And he begins with a, with a call to love God with all their heart and soul. Listen to verses 12 and 13. He says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Okay, so first we love God. And then in verse 14, he sets up the second requirement by connecting us back to the creation order that we just talked about, the image of God within each one of us, right? Verse 14 says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Okay, so everything belongs to God, including every single person who is a treasure created by God. But then, in addition to that value, God goes on to choose and greatly honor the people of Israel. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. So circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Okay, so God chooses to especially love this specific group of people, Abraham's descendants, to receive his special attention. He loves these people as his chosen people. And it would be easy to stop right there. It would be easy to stop there and be left with, with this exclusive club, right? this exclusive club of people who are chosen and blessed by God. But God doesn't stop there and Moses doesn't stop there. They've been chosen not only to receive God's great love, but then to be channels by which the rest of this world around them be channels by which all people receive that power and love. Read the rest of the chapter. Pick it up again at verse 17. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. And in these verses, you can, as he goes on, you can almost feel God's heart for justice expand from his people outward, right? First, we're told that he loves his chosen people, the people of Israel. 
And then immediately verse 17 tells us that, that, remember, this God shows no partiality. He loves all people. And Moses gives us a sampling of the people that God specifically loves. Because he loves the orphans and the widows and the foreigners living among us. And the foreigners then living all around us as well. All of those people that you and I are tempted to ignore, to not worry about, to just leave alone because they aren't one of us, because they don't matter to us. But Moses tells us that when God sees this injustice, when he sees those who are poor and those who are vulnerable and those who are unable to defend themselves from being taken advantage of, our God rises up. He defends the orphans. He defends the widows. He protects the vulnerable. He protects the ones that our society fails to protect. And how does he do that? Well, verse 19. In verse 19, God turns towards his people and declares, you are to do that. Yeah, I love the foreigners, and you are to love the foreigners. God does his loving. He does his defending. He does his protecting through the people he has chosen as his own. That was the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament. That's you and me now in this New Testament world. He works through us. You see, God has claimed you and me. He has claimed us by the power of his Holy Spirit, right? That, that saving power of the Holy Spirit that comes and forgives our sins and, and washes away our guilt and sets us free and, 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 and wa- welcomes us into eternity. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But the Holy Spirit also then transforms us, changes how we live here today. And, and a lot of our life transformation into the image of Jesus Christ, that's the fruit that we bear when we're healthy. That's what the world will see in us. It will see in us a burning inability to keep accepting dehumanizing injustice when we see it. The fruit that they will see is us taking a stand for justice. And when we do that, then we are acting as God's advocates in this world. Standing beside the vulnerable and the poor and those who are not able to defend themselves in God's name as his representatives. And that also means that to do nothing, to turn a blind eye and to simply allow injustice to thrive all around us, is to be complicit in it. It's exactly what Jesus' New Testament story, the Good Samaritan, teaches us, isn't it? In that story, There's a clear injustice that happens. A vulnerable traveler is walking down the road. He gets beat up by a band of robbers. Everything's stolen. He's left for dead by the side of the the road. Clear injustice. Here's somebody vulnerable, needing help. Society has beaten him down. And in the face of that injustice, the priest and the Levite turn their eyes away and walk right on past. Not their cause. This isn't their issue to deal with. It's not their problem. He isn't their friend. 
He's not one of them. Not their kind. But the Samaritan can't walk, can't walk past, can he? Because he realizes this is his cause. And this is his issue. And this is his problem. Because this beaten man is his fellow child of God who carries immense value and matters to God. So he stops. And he does all he can. And he sacrifices to right this wrong. To fight this injustice. And so you and I, as we encounter injustice today, as God's people, we need to stop too. We can't walk right on by. Because to walk right on past is not to stay neutral. It's to allow and promote injustice. And sometimes, sometimes the injustices we face are, are clear. They're horrifying. We can't help but share God's anger, right? I hope you can't help but share that burning anger at injustice when you hear about systematic abuse of women and girls in many countries, when you hear about human trafficking. We need to respond to the call for justice. When we hear about extreme poverty of countries like Haiti and Honduras and others that are burdened with debt, that will keep them poor. We need to call for justice. When we hear about people who are denied quality housing because of the color of their skin, we need to respond with a call for justice. When we see educational systems, some of which give better opportunities to some children than others, we need to call for justice. Just a few days ago, June 20, was World Refugee Day. Right, when we read that 26 million people in this world, just think about that number. That's a 26 million, huge number. When we read that 26 million people are refugees who have fled their home and their country due to war and poverty and danger, and that another 48 million are refugees inside their own country. They had to leave their homes. That's a total of 70 million people who are refugees away from their homes, people like you and me. We need to respond with a call for mercy and for justice. When we realize that in Syria alone, that that civil war has resulted in 11 million families. So parents, think of you and your children. Families like yours has left 11 million families in need of humanitarian assistance. Four million refugees, over half of whom are children who are in danger of malnutrition and family separation and abuse. We need to respond with some kind of call for justice and mercy. Sometimes there's those big injustices that we can't ignore. But there's also these injustices that, that hide more subtly within us and around us. And often are more difficult to face, more challenging to address. Because they hit a little closer to home. Right, the injustices of housing and transportation right here in our own county that maybe aren't our problem, but we do get to vote on it when the millages come along. The injustices of the cycle of poverty that has caught so many people right around us in its trap. The injustices of race 
that for most of us benefit us greatly. Why would we want to change anything? Our passion against injustice must affect how we view life. How we view every major political issue that we love to, to debate and talk about today, right? I'm certainly not going to stand up here this morning and tell you how you should vote. I'm not going to give you any conclusions you should draw. But my job is simply to encourage you and to challenge you, us all, to bring your faith, to bring God's word to your whole discerning and decision-making process. And that includes bringing God's desire for justice, right? Defined as restoring and defending the inherent God-given value of each person. Make sure that's a filter you're using. And how would, how would that filter affect your view of refugees? How would looking at, at the issue of health care through that filter shape what you think? Or your stance of abortion? Or your thinking about immigrants on the southern border? Or your perspective on civil rights? Did I miss any hot topics for anybody? Again, I'm not telling you what to think. These issues are way too complex to lend themselves to simplistic answers. But when you do think about them, as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, God commands us to use that justice filter, to approach them from the perspective of our pledge, his pledge, for justice for all. See everyone every human being through God's eyes, as people dearly loved by him. That's part of our pledge as God's people, to do battle against injustice, to bear the fruit of justice everywhere for everyone. Let's be honest as we wrap up here this morning. It's a lot easier just to walk on past. It's a lot easier it's easier to ignore those who have been beaten and robbed and are laying by the side of the road. It's a lot easier to stay wonderfully ignorant and to stay tucked away in our little safe and secure lives that aren't very messy. To stay, to stay safe and secure, tucked away in our secure church building here. But that's not God's design for his people. That's not God's design for his church. God designed us to bear fruit in his name, fruit that people all around us will see and taste. He designed us to share his passion for the widow, for the orphan, for the sick, for the poor, the, for the forgotten, to defend them, to stand with them, and to give them mercy and grace in his name. Because that's exactly what God has done for you. It's exactly what God has done for me. Right? Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were broken and beat down and undeserving, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. He died for me. He stood by us. Now who do we stand by? You know, when I, when I think about it, I realize I care about justice a lot when it has something to do with me. I'm passionate about justice when someone cuts in front of me in a construction zone. 
I'm passionate about justice when I'm overcharged for my groceries. And when I'm accused of something I didn't do. Or like last night when someone lights off fireworks late at night when they're not supposed to. If you watch the news, you see people are really passionate about justice when it comes from their little league child striking out on a bad call from a 13-year-old umpire. Causes a brawl. How might my life change if I was as passionate about the injustices of racism or sexism or human trafficking or extreme poverty or refugees as I was about my little insignificant injustices in my life? I wonder how other people's lives might be changed if I pledged my allegiance to the kingdom of God and shared his passion for the fatherless, for the widows, for the orphans, for the foreigners, for those who are having their basic God-given inherent value taken away from them. You and I, as individuals, as a church, must be the people and the place where those suffering the injustices of life can come and pick the fruit of God's love and justice meant for them. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father God, we start by confession. That's where we need to start. Because we have not stood for justice as we should. Oh, we've, we've been passionate for justice for ourselves. And then we've been silent when it comes to justice for others. We confess our silence, our selfishness, our spiritual apathy. And we ask that you would forgive us, Father. Remind us of the immense justice that you won for us on the cross. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. While we were rebels, while we were still ugly and undeserving, you protected us, you defended us. You died for us because you loved us. Because you knew that our inherent value as your children never fades away. You loved us. And now, Father, as you have loved us, you call us to love those around us, especially those who are victims of injustice. Give us the courage to hear your call for justice, to work for it, to take a stand for it, even sacrifice for it. Give us the eyes to see the opportunities that you set right in front of us. Maybe give us the eyes to see those opportunities right here, right now. Father, if you would, maybe bring an individual to mind, a face to mind, of someone who's, who's needing Someone to stand with them for the cause of justice. Maybe a fellow student at school who needs a friend to stand beside them. Maybe a coworker who needs a partner to overcome the barriers that society has placed in their way to keep them down. Maybe you'll help us to see the face of a neighbor whose race or religion or economic status has made them an outcast to us and to the rest of the neighbors. 
as we read the news, remind us that all of those stories on the news, all of those issues and crises that we watch, often as entertainment, that we debate as political issues, that they are all filled with people that you love dearly, people that you absolutely adore, who are suffering and dying and many of whom who are lost without you. Help us to love them in your, in your name, to be your hands and feet, to love them as your people, as your church. Father God, we recognize that we certainly can't do everything. The injustices that we see all around us are way too big just for us as individuals, even for us as a church together. But don't let that stop us. We can't do everything but convict us to do something. Move in our hearts, Holy Spirit, so that your fruit of justice, your harvest of justice, might be found here in us. In your name.